Welcome back to another episode of the Hip Hop Social Worker Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Scott. And uh, today I have a special guest, Andre, all the way from uh, across the country. Uh, what um, state are you in? I'm in North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah, that is the other end of the country. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, so we go ahead and do you want to uh, kind of let the people know, like, your background and uh, what kind of got you into social work? Uh, yeah, so to try to answer that very succinctly, um, I, I graduated high school in 2007 and went straight into undergrad, and my first major was mass communications. Um, and I'm not sure how much of my story that you have kept up on, uh, but I lived with sickle cell disease, um, and because uh, of my disease at that time, um, I got very, very sick um, in the ICU for months, and I, I wasn't able to complete my undergraduate education. Uh, so when I got out the hospital, uh, my school was basically saying, like, you have to start over because this semester is basically in the toilet. So I ended up dropping out of school, and then that was around the same time as the 2008 financial crisis, um, and it affected me and my family. Um, and I say all that to say it, it actually plays a role in what brought me to social work. So I left my first institution. I started to work. Um, and then uh, when it was uh, time for me to go back to school, I was able to uh, go back to school and uh, claim myself as an uh, independent student. Um, I was thinking about, I hated mass communications. <laughs> that mm -hmm. was a major that I chose because I was peer pressured by my parents. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to find what major, um, what field of study would really um, inspire me that would really be something that I knew that I loved and was my calling. Um, and around that time, um, I had started to become um, I've always been involved as an advocate, um, but I was kind of like a bootleg advocate. <laughs> yeah. But um, around that time, I started to become professionally involved as a sickle cell disease advocate and rare disease advocate. <clears throat> um, and so one day I was chopping it up with a couple of friends and even some people um, that were career coaches, career counselors at the school um, that I was enrolling into. And they said, hey, um, everybody who didn't know each other, who were not in the same room, um, but were privy to the same conversation said, um, you should look into social work. Um, and it was funny because I, when I took, the, I took about six years off working and I actually worked at um, my county's Department of Social Services. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw what the social workers went through that worked. Um, I worked in CPS and I saw what they went through and I'm like, I don't want this. Um, yeah. At one point I was like, maybe I would be a social worker. This was while I was working there. But by the time I left to go back to school, I was like, I, I don't want this. And so when everybody started saying social work, I was like, nah, man, like I don't want this. Um, because even though I realized the work was important, I saw the burnout and I saw the stress, even though the social workers, all the, all the ones that I encountered and worked with loved what they did, 
you could tell that they were overworked, underpaid, and overly stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, all of that being said, um, it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. And then when I, I really started researching on how broad the field was, because I was one of those people that I have to talk to now that thinks that social work is just child protection. Um, and I was one of those people. And so when I researched and figured out how broad the field was and understood um, the foundation that you learn um, as a social worker about social change, social justice, um, and, and you know our code of ethics, I, it really compelled me to want to get that as my undergraduate education. So I know that took forever for me to explain, but I, I felt that um, that story really kind of helps drive the point home. And that's what brought me to uh, pursue social work um, as a student in undergraduate studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a trip that everybody's like first like recollection of like uh, social work is like CPS. Right. You, 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 go, you go straight to CPS. You don't, yeah. nothing else is like, I just like, no, nah, I ain't nobody. I'm not doing that. So yeah, it is, it is a tough field. That's actually what I wanted to do when I, uh, before I went to grad school, I, like I was uh, like trying to gear up to be a CPS worker and wow. it sounds, it, it sounds tough. I never got hired, but <laughs> yeah, maybe that was a blessing. It was it was really tough. Um, so of course I was there in as an administrative assistant because um, I didn't have any social work education, um, and I worked um, closely with the team, the child fatality review team, yeah. um, and just seeing how even though they teach us in the classroom that we have to have boundaries um, to see some of the workers emotionally affected by children that were on their caseload that ended up dying at the hands of an abuser mm-hmm. or tragically dying and they had to come on a review board to kind of figure out how to prevent something like that from happening in the future from another case. Um, it, it, it just, it took a toll on me just seeing how emotionally invested uh, those workers were. But now retrospectively, um, as a recent graduate from an undergraduate program and someone who is, you know, going off to grad school, um, I could see as a sickle cell disease advocate, I'm very, um, of course, because I have sickle cell, I'm very invested. But uh, apart from that, um, I really appreciate, um, again, how broad social work is. And I appreciate how I was able to um, merge and marry my advocacy in the sickle cell disease realm, the rare disease realm, and um, in the healthcare arena in general, mm-hmm. and mesh that with social work. And, and another thing kind of to add um, context to like the line of questioning, for me, um, as a chronically ill patient um, with sickle cell disease, um, I realized that I felt that my social workers failed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one reason that it challenged me to be a social worker um, or to major in social work because my trajectory may not be where my title is a social worker, but I have that, that undergraduate foundation. But um, I say that to say um, 
going, you know, I used to be in the hospital a lot, um, and even uh, while I was a child uh, with, with sickle cell disease, but as an adult when I'm not as sick, but, you know, going to routine maintenance appointments, um, they will always say, oh, and the social worker, every so often, the social worker wants to talk to you. Um, and the social worker would come in and ask me basically how I was doing. And if I didn't say anything crazy, they would walk out. Um, mm. And I really never understood what the purpose <laughs> of that was. Yeah. I never understood what their purpose was. I kind of felt frustrated because I didn't feel like my needs, my social needs, which what I thought a social worker was there to address were met um and then there's another story that i always tell people um most of the time with sickle cell um when you go to clinics a lot of times hematology and oncology are on the same clinic or on the same floor or you know married together mm -hmm. um and so where i was going where i still go um as a child our, it was the HEMOC, Hematology Oncology Clinic. Um, and so I was not only there with other sickle cell patients and other patients with hematological disorders, but yeah. I was also there with um, cancer patients. And I say this to make a point, um, sickle cell is very racially um, charged. Um, a lot of people in this country still do not understand that sickle cell disease is not a black disease. It uh, disproportionately affects black people, but it's not solely a disease that only impacts black people. Um, and, I, and I say this to make a point, um, while I was on the HEMOC ward or the HEMOC clinic, the white or even the black uh, cancer patients seemed to get everything. Yeah. Um, and then the black sickle cell patients seemed like we were segregated and thrown in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and so there would be times, especially when I was a, 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 a newer, young adult, I had just started driving. So therefore, I, we call it the transition phase. And I was driving myself to my appointments. I was scheduling my own appointments. I was, you know, refilling my own prescriptions. I was, you know, filling the tank with gas because my doctor is an hour away from me. So I had to pay for the gas. I had to pay for the food, you know, mm -hmm. all this stuff. I'm paying rent on my own for the first time. And so I knew that there were resources that the social worker could provide. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, of course, us Black people are innately proud, I believe, and then especially Black men. And so it's already hard to ask the social worker, hey, I need some assistance with maybe paying for gas or, hey, I know that you all have meal cards or, you know, vouchers to give patients so that they could eat in the cafeteria. Um, and there were several times where I would ask for these resources from my social worker and they basically condescendingly said that I didn't deserve or I don't need those. Um, yeah. But in the same breath, I would see them providing, um, Chick-fil-A used to always bring their cow and they would always bring like a, a huge buffet of chicken sandwiches for the oncology patients. Mm -hmm. But it was something that the sickle cell patients couldn't take part in. Yeah. Um, so you're, you can feed the <clears throat> oncology patients, but when a young 19, 20 year old is saying, hey, I just sacrificed all of my money to get to my doctor's appointment so that I could be adherent and compliant um, to my treatment plan, 
Um, so I just spent my last $30 in the gas tank, but you can't give me a simple $5 voucher to go to get a number two at McDonald's. Yeah. Those are the things that I experienced that told me, Hey, I want to change how people interact with not only their social worker, but how the social worker interacts with their client base. Mm -hmm. um, and even though me, when I started uh, my journey, I realized very early on that direct practice and clinical uh, practice was not my thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a people person, but I just, I can't imagine myself uh, getting a license and holding office hours, eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. I would yeah. shoot myself in the foot. Um, <laughs> I have been so um, enthralled in the advocacy space where I was, um, you know, helping advocate for different House bills and Senate bills and having certain bills about sickle cell being signed into law by the president, by, you know, going to different pharmaceutical agencies um, and companies and educating them on sickle cell. On the macro level, that's where I found satisfaction. Even though I, at that micro level, I found my energy and my passion to be a social worker, I realized that I could still make an impact on how the micro level social worker uh, makes a difference um, in their interactions with their clients. Um, so my, my biggest passion is to be able to, first of all, educate um, social workers at the micro level to understand different healthcare policies, for them to have general education on not just sickle cell disease, of course, but other healthcare uh, uh, issues and disease states. Um, I think it's very imperative that um, we learn, I learned in my BSW education that policy informs practice. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very important that not only that there be micro practitioners, there, there are also people that are passionate about macro level social work that can uh, very well impact the world as the micro level practitioner does. So I'm yeah. a hush now. <laughs> That's all good. I, I appreciate that. Well, I was going to ask you like what area of social work you worked in. Uh, so it sounds like you do a lot of macro social work, a lot of advocacy. Somebody who does a lot of micro social work, I don't really have an idea of what, like, like how would I start a career in macro social work i mean yeah. like as far as like advocacy and you know um going to the senate and getting stuff passed and all that, so i wouldn't know where to start so like how does one like get into that career path and actually make it like lucrative enough for them like yeah live, you know? so i'm in that place now mm -hmm. <laughs> um again so to kind of back up when i went back to um school um when I, I, I transferred to a community college and then I transferred to a community college graduate and then transferred back to a four-year institution. When I got back to my four-year institution, I said that I was going to make um, the biggest impact that I can because when I was in undergrad the first time, I didn't feel like I had a good academic experience. I had a great social life, mm -hmm. but my academic experience just was not the best. Um, and that's kind of a shameless plug I was at a PWI when I was first in undergrad. And I also let people peer pressure me to make that decision. A lot of my family did because um, from the time I was very small, I wanted to go to an HBCU. Yeah. Um, and I promise this is answering your question. 
it takes me a while. I don't know why it takes me a while to answer questions. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so anyway, I say that to say, um, I went to that PWI, I left, because um, they were all saying, oh, your education would be much better. You're going to learn so much more. Basically trying to imply that my education at the HBCUs that I applied to would not measure up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got to my HBCU, the academic rigor was on a totally different level. I learned so much more. It just, I would never have received the opportunities that I did at the PWI if I went back or if I stayed. Um, so I say this to say when I got to the HBCU, um, academically, I was challenged and not only academically was I challenged, but uh, socially and professionally I was challenged. Um, so there um, became an opportunity for me to be a McNair scholar and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, I but really, it, I don't really know like the details. So the McNair scholar program is a program that's funded through TRIO. Um, TRIO um, is uh Upward Bound, Talent Search, those different programs. Yeah, I know Upward Bound. Right. And so they started off with just three programs, which hits TRIO, but now it's about seven or eight, maybe more, including the McNair Scholars Program. It was named after Ronald McNair, one of the first Black astronauts. He died in 1986 um, in the shuttle, but he received his PhD. Um, He came from a poor, disadvantaged background. So this program is for people from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds, um, minorities, people with disabilities, um, to be able to be trained um, and given the tools to be an viable applicant to PhD studies. So I say that to say, um, in my uh, preparation as a McNair scholar, we did so much research. And of course, because I'm passionate about sickle cell, I did a lot of research on sickle cell disease, and this is answering your question. So this kind of made me a more desirable advocate um, that was sought out by um, agencies and corporations. Um, To directly answer your question, it's kind of hard to find a macro social work job. And this is from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Somebody else may correct me, and I stand to be corrected. But you can go on Indeed, you can go on USA Jobs, you can go on all of these job search engines and type in social worker, and 99% of the jobs that pop up are clin- clinical jobs, you know, at VA, at a hospital, <coughs> doing direct practice, doing counseling, doing therapy. Um, very little will you find a job that is titled social worker in a macro level setting. Mm -hmm. Most of the jobs that macro level social workers that again, I've seen um, are jobs like organizer, community organizer. Actually, I just applied to a job yesterday about a community organizer working in political campaigns. Um, And so if you're looking for jobs that say social worker and you wanna be macro, I think it's probably a little harder. Um, And then also for me, um, as an advocate, most of the opportunities for me come to me. I don't seek them out. Mm-hmm. So just like yesterday, I got a call from uh, a pharmaceutical company that wants me to go to a city um, next month to advocate for sickle cell disease. Um, so basically, a lot of the times I get 
jobs or work or business, however you want to term it, they come to me. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I'm still kind of trying to figure this out um, because it's not as structured as somebody who wants to be a micro practitioner. And I think that's probably why a lot of people are more um, attracted to micro than macro. Um, I have my mentor, my social work mentor, um, she's actually running um, for a political office in our General Assembly here in North Carolina. Um, and she taught my macro social work class. Mm. And she, uh, she's, she was, she's probably one of the biggest influences of why I was interested in doing macro. Um, but anyway, I say that to say she always used to tell us um, that macro social workers, first of all, have to understand that uh, we are just as important as micro. And a lot of people have shifted what the definition of social work is. And I'm not demonizing anyone who's a micro social worker, but there's a book, again, not to insult your intelligence, I don't know if you know about it or not, uh, called Unfaithful Angels. We were made to read it. Um, and it's a, basically about uh, proving the case that social work rather I'm sorry, rather macro, micro, mezzo is all important. Um, but for whatever reason, throughout the last 50 or 60 years, we have only seen social work through the lens of a micro space. Um, and people, 99% um, of the people in my cohort at my school, when they surveyed us, who all wants to get their LCSW, their license, and open a private practice? Everybody raised their hand. Yeah. But when my macro uh, professor, when my macro uh, teacher asked me how many people want to be a community organizer, how many people want to <laughs> be an mm -hmm. advocate, how many people want to do this, anything that's you know, dealing with administration, communities, organizations, Nobody raised their hand other than me. I was the only yeah. nerd that raised my hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but I think that's again what we are kind of fed as social work students. And so it's another passion of mine. And I think maybe you'll get to this. So I don't want to jump the gun, but that's why I created Black Men in Social Work because I don't want people that were like me to still have this jaded view of what social work is. Uh, when social work really got its boom and when Jane Addams and the whole house and, you know, all of these people who are mothers and fathers of the profession were really doing it, Jeanette Rankin, when they were really out in these streets, as we mm -hmm. say, yeah. um, they weren't in an office eight to five, Monday through Friday, holding uh, hours and they weren't billing, you know, a hundred dollars an hour for a therapy session. They weren't billing um, you know, Medicaid, um, you know, these big uh, insurance companies, um, they were making sure that they were accessible to the poor people. Um, and so again, not demonizing micro workers, but when we have micro workers and, and practitioners and we have clinicians um, and therapists that are billing $150 an hour for therapy or whatever have you, are you really, um, trying to help those that really need it. Like, of course, you know, Cindy that's, you know, making six figures could afford that. But what about Bob who just lost his job, who really needs the therapy? Yeah. Where do they go? Yeah. Um, anyway, I say that to say that. So it's a lot of things to consider. And I just think that a lot of us, and, and we could go back to our accrediting bodies. Again, I'm not coming or indicting anybody. But um, when you think about it, 
I know in my BSW education, we had one class about macro and we had maybe one class about like social policy, welfare, um, but it really did not prove the case or give a argument to why you should actually consider that as a career option. Everybody pushed in my faculty, get your license, get your license, get your license, you know, do your MSW, do your MSW. Again, I don't refute that, but no one's really saying, hey, but we have a, a need for people to minister, I guess you could say, or actually work with a poor population in the trenches. And sometimes having office hours is not going to do it. Yeah. Um, I promise I could talk about this all day. So please tell me, shut up, so you can move uh, on. It's all good. Uh, it was interesting that I am a micro social worker, but my actual program was based on macro, like community organizing. That's know? great. So, um, so yeah, I, I had a few teachers that were anti-licensure. You know, I had one that said, just get it and then stop doing direct practice, but just get it just to have it, you know? So, so I have seen, um, you know, I, I know social workers that really put themselves in a bad spot financially just so they can do what you said be accessible to the poor people and the people right. that are sick right yeah things, you know and even though i'm a therapist um when i was actually when i was actually doing practice this summer i saw a lot of um stuff that i was like okay like this ain't cool like like i had a client that was um he was disabled he 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 uh he had um disability or some social security and his stress was coming from his financial situation now it's like now now like i feel bad for telling the like so like this you know this like there's no like mindfulness in his situation you know what i'm saying like he can't right. cope that he is poor and yeah and the renters keep raising the rent on him everybody keeps raising yeah. the price on him and that's what's causing his anxiety i feel like me telling him to just breathe about it was, was kind of right you know what I'm saying? So, and yeah, so there are some, there, there we have some systems. I'm glad you brought that up because again, what you said, that, that was me too, again, with the chronic illness. And see, this is why I enjoy social work so much. And I think that, um, and I'll just say this, cause I pro I'm sure you're going to ask this question, but that's one of the reasons again, why I started the group on Facebook three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, is that I wanted, I knew that black men were underrepresented in the field, but I also knew that growing up, basically I felt, and I am not athletic at all, like literally not. I, yeah. <laughs> don't ask me to throw you nothing because it's not going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I was a cheerleader that was as athletic as I was, could, could be, because it so didn't it didn't involve any balls because yeah. <laughs> I couldn't throw them, I couldn't catch them, so don't ask me. Um, but I, I brought that up to say, growing up in the 90s, as an 80s baby, growing up in the 90s, to me in school, even though pretty much I would say the majority of the schools I went to were majority black, um, I still felt like an outsider still because I wasn't black and an athlete. Mm -hmm. So I was... I wasn't cool. I was the outsider because everybody was an athlete. Everybody played basketball, football, soccer, what something. Yeah. But I feel that we push athleticism so much on our black boys, which is not a bad thing. But it's almost to the fact that for some, if I'm not a good athlete, then I then nothing validates me. Or 
I have no other career choice. And I just don't believe that we have to keep perpetuating that. And I feel that with my group and, you know, I really couldn't give it as much energy as I wanted to because I was in school busy with trying to graduate. But now that I'm a graduate, I'm really trying to bring initiatives to actually show children in elementary, middle school, high school, whatever arena they're in, in their education, even in college, you don't have to just be the, the baller that doesn't pay attention to their coursework and basically they're just skating by because they're the baller. Like you could be a, a social worker, you could change someone's life. Like this is a viable career for you. And because it's heavily predominated by white women, um, a lot of them feel like it's something that is inaccessible to them. Mm-hmm. And then also, like you said, with the guy, that resonated with me too, because again, as someone with a chronic illness, um, I definitely understand how hard life can be when there were many days where I had to think, am I going to buy food or my prescriptions? Mm-hmm. If I don't buy my prescriptions, I'm going to die eventually if I don't take them. If I don't buy food, eventually if I don't eat after a couple of days, I'm going to die. So either way, yeah. you're choosing death. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 so yeah. either way, and thankfully, I would say my mental health never, never deteriorated to my knowledge. Um, but some people, that is a big stressor. Um, and like you said, I honestly feel like, yeah, I could go to therapy and talk to you about it. But at the end of the day, are you going to buy my prescription stuff? You know what I mean? Yeah. Are, are, what are you doing to help lower the cost of my prescriptions? And that's going back to my argument about why I feel like a lot more social work students need to be exposed to macro more than they are. Because we need more people, again, like I said, policy informs practice. If you're telling me you have a, 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 a client who's on Social Security and he needs to figure out how to buy his, you know, uh, pay for his rent, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. But he, he's not in any type of affordable housing. He's not qualified for any of this. What on the policy level can we do to help? him have access to where he's living at. Like I'm sitting in my room. I live in, I'm not ashamed to tell anybody, I live in affordable housing for people with disabilities. Yeah. And, and I feel like me as a social worker, I learned how to fight for myself. Um, I won't go into this story, but long story short, I ended up in the same position. I was in a regular income, I guess you could call it housing, um, again, like I said, I was just, this was one of my very first apartments on my own. I had social security, so it's not, and a lot of people think when you have social security, you're making a whole bunch of money. That's a lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was eating uh, jelly sandwiches for, you know, a lot. Um, but so they ended up raising my rent and I'm like, even though it was only maybe like $75, that was too much. I could not afford that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I ended up emailing Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, Joe Biden, his wife. I mean, when I tell you, I emailed everybody in any type of political office yeah. um, that I was a constituent of. And, and I basically pleaded my case. I wrote a letter and said, hey, I can't afford rent. I have a disability. Like, there has to be something that, that somebody could help me find out. Like, or if not, I'm going to be homeless. 
literally like I'm not going to have anywhere to stay. Um, and then that's another kind of linchpin. And I was thinking if I did get evicted or if I had to move out there in my community, there aren't many homeless shelters for single men. I would literally be on the street. Like they had, they have so many shelters for single women, women with children, but you don't see many single uh, shelters for single men. And so I'm panicking because I, I knew that in a couple of months, I would literally have nowhere to live. Anyway, where I'm at right now is the fruit of me advocating for myself. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has that skill set. Not everybody knows who to talk to, who to go to. Um, but again, where I live at is the produce, is the manifestation of somebody understanding in policy on the political level, on that level, that on the legislative level, that where I live at, in the townhomes I live, that they have to reserve a certain amount of units for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to think that, hey, we need housing for people with disabilities because we recognize that they're on, they're getting a social security check, they can't afford much. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm making a case to, to really prove the point that we need both macro and micro together working in a symbiotic relationship. Um, you're, you know, the micro, uh, worker is very important. Again, I don't want to demonize that, but also, so is the macro. And so understanding all of that, I feel like is really what drove me in my passion in the two years that I, I came back and got my undergraduate degree in social work. Um, and then also even while I'm applying to PhD programs now, I may or may not continue in PhD studies as a social work uh, student, but that foundation that I received will never be able to be taken away from me. It will always stick with me and it informs every decision that I make now. Um, So I think it's very important. Very, 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 very important. Man, I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. Uh, I kind of had like a quasi macro micro job and mm-hmm. it was so heavy buried in politics that it kind of beat me down so I, so for a while i really didn't see a point from yeah me micro macro social work yeah I, yeah it was like a that was a that wasn't a skill of mine but I, but i do know that we do need you know like you said like like you know if i'm just doing therapy with people you know what i'm saying that can afford it or you know trying to have somebody cope with their oppression i'm not really doing social work Right, right. Now, don't don't let me cope with what I'm going on. Help me address to overcome it. Yeah. And and I think that's one of the reasons that I'm very empowered, especially in the sickle cell space. I, again, I think I'm very biased because I live with the disease, but I also am very passionate not only because I live with it, but because, again, as the stories that I've shared, I lived it. And that's another thing about macro that I love because especially when I go to these legislative um, sessions and I, I confront policy makers and legislators about policies that they uh, passed that have been crapping on the, the, the people with uh, pre-existing conditions, people with sickle cell, people with rare diseases. Um, there was one lawmaker that I really kind of confronted in a legislative session. It was like, why did you sign this into law? Like this, this sucks. Like this is really crapping on us basically. And he nonchalantly said, um, kind of with the affirmation of his political peers is that I don't, I didn't even read it. I just signed it because we were about to go on vacation. 
So it was on the docket and we needed to get it done and I just signed it. And so, but this is why I, again, think it's very important for social workers to be involved in just more than the micro setting because I actually, the same professor I told you about, um, the, the macro professor, she took um, me and a couple of students to Congress. She, we met Elijah Cummings before he passed away. We met Ayanna Presley. We met um, um, uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Tlaib. We met all of these people while they were in session. Um, and a lot of their staffers told us, we are begging social workers to come work for us because we understand the, 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 the huge responsibility of social change and social justice, but a lot of us don't have that type of skill set. And they are looking, begging for, so, like literally they were begging us to apply. Like if I wasn't a student, I would have, but they are begging people to work in, in as staffers for congressional leaders, as staffers for people that are governors, mayors, um, so that they are informed about the policies and the things that they're putting in place. But if we're not there to inform them, I almost can argue we can't get mad when they pass it. Like, I can't get mad when you don't even know. Like, I, yeah. I, I can hold you accountable after I've, I've educated you. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have any knowledge of it, if there's just, I'm just really making up a silly disease. If there's just a, a disease out there that we've never heard of and I'm doing things because I'm operating out of ignorance, people can't hold me accountable until they educate me. And then once I get that education, then I'm held responsible. Mm -hmm. So again, this is why I always charge students um, and even people that are, of course, sage, you know, that are in the game, that have been in the game since probably before I was born. You know, I'm still new to this, but what I've learned is that we have to be in every arena every arena and so working with the sickle cell space i've learned that a lot of people are just simply ignorant and they're uneducated and that's why they're making the policies and the legislative initiatives that are that they're doing so it energizes me to be able to go um to certain spaces um educate see that they understand it see that they get it um, and then see the fruit of my labor. I love it. I, now that's something I could do all the time, but there's, there's no job position for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get, you know, I get flued out as they say, you know, yeah. but you know, of course I get compensated, but that's not a job. That's, I, I don't, I'm not an employee. I'm a contractor, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, so, but that's what really energizes me as a social worker, being able to show people that, this person is inherent of dignity and self-worth, going back to our code of ethics. Um, I could just throw the code of ethics on the table without preparing for, like, if they brought me somewhere and said, hey, we wanted to speak, I could use that code of ethics like the Bible and flip through it and pull things out and make a case for people to get their life together, basically. <laughs> like you're crapping on this population. This is our code of ethics as social workers. and this is what you should be doing and this is what you're not doing. And this is what you can be doing to help this population. Mm-hmm. Man, brother, you are, you're dropping some good knowledge and you're right. We do need to know, you know, so like we need to be more informed about, about everything. You know what I'm saying? Like it's on, us to, it's on us to really understand what's going on with our policy. Yeah. 
Yeah. I I did notice that um, you know, that uh Obama follows you on Twitter, which is you know, has free type. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, because you know how it's like the people you follow that is tells you, hmm. you know, who follows I'm like, oh shoot, yeah. Obama. Okay. Oh. My man I didn't know that. <laughs> Interesting. I might have to start using that. Yeah. You know, I, I look at certain celebrities and um I I guess it's Beyonce or Oprah. One by somebody doesn't follow anybody. Yeah. So follow Beyonce. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think that's that's a whole nother conversation in itself. Cause I feel like you kind of can make yourself like you're untouchable. Yeah. Um but wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So uh black you've been to the group Black Men of Social Work, uh, that you know, that you started three years ago. Um so like um what is the overall goal for that group? You know, like saying like you know, like you look down the line five years now, but like, okay, this group is doing what I needed to do or it didn't do what I wanted to do. So like Yeah. Go ahead and explain. That's such a good question and here recently over maybe the last six months I've gotten that question a lot. And so let me tell you, when I first made it, I literally created a group on Facebook. And I think it may, it was, I think maybe five of us. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe me and some people that I knew that were social work majors. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And for maybe a year, maybe I would say, it kind of lay dormant. Nobody really was in the group. Nobody was really communicating with the group. And I really thought that, why did I even do this? Kind of to answer your question already. Um, and I didn't want to just do it just to do it. Um, but I really wanted the Facebook group to be a safe space for people like me. Because even though I went to a HBCU, a lot of the people, if they weren't white women, they were black women that were in my class. And again, I'm not, you know, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see anybody that really looked like me. I could count on my hand how many black guys were in my cohort that were in my program, BSW or MSW. Um, I would say I think I had I had one, two, three, I think I had four or five black male faculty. Um, but other than that, I just didn't see many people that looked like me. Um, and I was talking to someone one day and I was like, we're unicorns. I was invited to go to a certain social work convention. Um, it was, I guess I won't name it because I, I don't want it to sound like I'm being like a diss. It's not. I respect this organization, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of white people and I don't feel like um, they have a lot of the black interests at heart. I'll just say that. Okay. Um, and, but I will say um, I was prepared before I went. They said, listen, if you want to go to grad school, this is a great place to go because when they see you as a black male social worker, they're going to be all over you. And they did not lie. Like walking down mm-hmm. the halls, I felt like I was Tyson Bedford. Folks was pulling me left and right yeah. um, to get to talk, to, you know, want to talk to me about applying to their school for grad school. Um, and so it spurred, spurred off of that conversation um, and so I just created the group and I really want the group to be a place where people could share, you know, grad school opportunities, you know, internships, jobs, you know, even venting, angst, whatever you don't like about your job or what is your coworker, the colonizer, not understanding about you being the black male social worker that you are. Yeah. Um, and so that was really what I started the group for. But again, like I said, the 
first year or so, I think it just was kind of, I think I maybe saw a growth of five other people, so 10 people. Then there was another guy that I previously knew, um, and he received his degree in social work. And I think I saw him post something about graduating with this MSW. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to add you to my group. Is that okay? And he was like, cool. And he inherently liked the idea. And he started inviting like everybody from his MSW cohort, everybody from you know his area that he knew. He was inviting a whole bunch of people. And then he started challenging the people he invited to invite people. So now we're... I think uh, over 900 and nine, I think we're about 910, mm-hmm. 920, maybe 930 members, 930 members, I think. I don't want to lie. But I know it's well over 900 yeah. now. Um, and that may not seem a lot, but for me, I thought I thought that was pretty interesting to see that we have 900 Black men from across the country and around the world um, who understand that their position as a black male and a social worker is also beautiful and unique. Um, and it can pose unique challenges. Um, so that's why I made it. Um, and then to answer the latter part of your question, a lot of people have been really uh, getting on me about, we need to do like a, a retreat or a conference or this and that, and we want t-shirts. And, and when I made it, I didn't think about any of that. I wasn't thinking about um, like having a black men in social work conference. It just didn't cross my mind. But now people are understanding that we want to take this message again. Recently, I found that I wanted to take the message to younger children, males, to show them that social work is a career field that can be something that you can do. So now that I'm out of school and I actually have time to breathe, (laughs) I have been in conversation with trying to uh, plan and host um, a retreat. And then also I'm in conversations with a t-shirt printer to get some t-shirts and paraphernalia and get some tumblers and mugs. And then also start um, having people that are members of our group throughout the nation once we kind of organize it to Say, say, for instance, have the Black Men in Social Work Atlanta chapter one day go into a local elementary school, have a table, and have them share or maybe have them do some type of talk, something where they share with um, young men and older men alike that social work is a field um, that they could flourish in. So now it's starting to take off where I didn't expect it to. <laughs> So I'm hoping that um, I could really keep up with the momentum. So I'm actually now looking for more people to kind of help me manage this. And I I will tell you, um, I'm just going to be honest about it. I'm very hesitant with bringing other people to help because not saying that I feel that, um, how can I put this? I'm not saying that I don't feel like I need the help or I don't feel like I can allow someone to help me, but I also don't want someone to help me and then they pervert my vision or they pervert or damage what I really want, if that makes sense. I can understand that. So I'm very prayerful about that because um, I want it, I don't, I want it to remain pure. And I don't want someone else to feel like 
they can take over. Like, and I'm not saying that like this is a dictatorship, but I don't want someone to try to take over and pervert what I've tried to establish. Yeah. So that's just something that I'm I'm dealing with. But of course, I know that with a lot of the ideas that people are bringing to me that I can't just do it by myself. So I'm, yeah. I'm definitely um, into the place now where I'm thinking about getting help. And of course, when you're, it's very grassroots. I don't have a 501c3, you know, I don't have mm-hmm. any type of operating budget. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any type of infrastructure. So first of all, trying to ask for help, you know, is kind of, tricky too because folks like well what's in it for me and of course i validate that type of you know question in 2020 it's kind of hard to just always want to give to people and not have something you know to take out of it in return like a lot of people want to demonize the fact that people are looking for a paycheck or people want to look for this but in our day and time like i i'm too poor to be doing a whole bunch of stuff for free (laughs) you know i hate to say that but it's just where we are. Like I, I need somebody to grease my palms too. So I understand, you know, some people have been and probably will be a little hesitant to invest their time in something like this. You know, I'm not a national organization. I'm not any type of recognized organization. I don't have any bank accounts with no funds in it. Um, so we're we're trying to really get a little more organized and a little more established and have some type of infrastructure before I can do really the things that other people are suggesting that I do, which I think are great ideas and I want to see us do them. Um, But right now I just don't have that capacity. So I'm really under a lot of pressure. So, and I'm sure I probably would be after your listeners hear this. All right. Well, brother, I appreciate you for uh, connecting with me and uh, explaining your story and advocacy and, trying to uh you know get black men of social work together um yeah it was good it was a good talk you you know appreciate saying? it you, you got me thinking about ways i can you know uh combine macro and micro and you know because i yeah that we gotta you know like yeah yeah it is you know i do i do enjoy therapy but you know i, I don't i don't want to be known as a person that kind of you know has somebody ready you know saying to fight oppression you know what i'm saying right Not yeah all the tools you know what i'm saying yeah. or or fight a fight that that could be handled in policy yeah so all right Great. well i appreciate you thank you so much man no problem all right, all right. bye